0: I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 8 to start us off today. Here's the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which Yahweh swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that Yahweh your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yahweh. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart... That as a man chastens his son, so Yahweh your God chastens you. Thus far the reading of God's word, let's give thanks together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We praise you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We praise you for this place that you have provided for us to all come together. I pray that in the instruction and worship and play and dance and meals this week, that you would sanctify us, that you would grow us up to maturity just a little bit more, that we would come to know you more and more, we pray this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a confession to make, and that is um, I have always been quite a bit intimidated by the business of working in a kitchen, doing what needs to be done to get a meal ready. I've never felt at home in a kitchen. I never learned how to cook growing up, uh, like many people in my generation My parents didn't really think that much or care that much about food and the process, the joy of eating a meal or feasting. A lot of what we had growing up came out of cans or it was frozen or just warmed up. Uh, My mother really didn't feel at home in the kitchen either. She didn't really do a lot in the kitchen and so um most of our meals growing up were kind of frozen prepared things and and that's or we you know ate at a drive through or something and that was just what i did growing up um but when i got married the lord gave me a woman who really in fact knew what she was doing in the kitchen so i let her do it i mean it's you're good at it i'm going to get out of your way and and let you do it now now when it comes to cooking outside well that's my job right i fire and meat, and lighter fluid, and fire. And I can do that. You know, I can put meat on a grill and flip it <laughs> and, and bring it inside. I can do that. I'm very comfortable doing that. But the inside stuff, the kitchen stuff, I I left to her, and I just stayed out of the way. But this past year, I said, this is ridiculous. I am a grown man. I ought to be able to do more than just pour milk on cornflakes or open up a can of ravioli. I ought to be able to do something more than that. So I determined, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prepare one meal a week for my family. It's going to be my job. I'm going to plan the meal. I'm going to do the shopping. I'm going to pull everything together. I'm going to execute a meal for my family and my family was nervous and they were worried and they said you know can we just order a pizza is that going to do that i had no idea what i was doing i was absolutely lost i didn't know where anything was in the kitchen but i'm going to do this and so I'm going to make things from scratch. I'm not just going to warm things up. I'm not just going to open cans of things and pour them in the saucepan. I'm not going to do that. So I spent time on the Internet looking up recipes and trying to understand how to do things and, uh, and going making lists for the grocery store and coming back and then trying to follow a recipe. And when it says chop up an onion, I think, I've never chopped up an onion. I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know how to do that. So I'd watch a YouTube video and say, oh, that's how you chop up an onion. There's a procedure to doing that. and that's, So I did it, and I followed, I followed the procedure. And it said, saute the onions and peppers. Saute? What is that? Is this a French recipe? What's saute? Well, i got to go- Google it and go to YouTube. And then I, oh, butter in a pan. And you saute the peppers and onions. Following the recipes tightly and following the rules of of the of the recipe. Now I did this and my family didn't choke, they didn't die. They actually some of the things were quite edible. And as I was going, as the weeks went by, month by month, I learned to get just a little bit more adventurous. Get get a little bit off the script. Maybe my family doesn't like so much garlic. So I'm going to leave that out. Maybe we don't really like things too salty. So maybe I'll use less salt maybe we like a little bit more you know kind of maybe like mushrooms in our sauces well I'm gonna try that I'm gonna add that and you get a little bit more experimental I felt a little freedom to improvise now not everything was perfect restaurant quality and I'm I'm still learning one day I might be able to come up with something all on my own without a recipe without going to YouTube I've still never been in the kitchen without going to YouTube that hasn't happened yet but maybe I can come up with something on my own that is edible and that I just made up and that I just put together. I'm not there yet. But this is the way it is with any skill that you set out to learn. There's always a time at the beginning where you must learn how to follow the rules and understand the uh, exact proper procedure for executing the new skill that you're learning. So if you've Ever taken piano lessons? The first thing you have to do is you have to learn where to put your fingers. So you're going to have to look at your fingers, and you're going to have to look at the keyboard, and you're going to have to think every single note is not—it's not going to come seamlessly. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to play scales, and you have to play a lot of scales until you don't have to look at your fingers anymore. Um, if you play guitar, you know I got to put my First finger, second fret, second string, third finger, first string, fifth fret. You think, and you put your fingers there, and then you, you kind of strum. And then before you change the chord, you have to move your fingers, and then you do it again, and, and you do that again and again and again. And before long, you can do it without looking at your fingers. Before long, it just comes second nature. And then you might even be able to write your own songs. You see, we have to focus on the fingering and learn it until it becomes natural, second nature. We get the muscle memory, and then you can do it without thinking, and then you can even transcend that and be able to teach others and do it uh, as if it were just part of you. These stages of development are parallel to how God trains up his people. From the beginning of creation, God has been training up humanity to be a suitable bride For his son, Jesus. From the very beginning, that's been his intention with the human race. To train us up to maturity so that one day we are a suitable bride for the Lord Jesus. And as we just read a few minutes ago from Deuteronomy, as you were listening, what he said was, I have been slowly disciplining you. I have been training you. I have been correcting you. I even allowed you to hunger And then I blessed you with a bounty of manna so that you would learn something. I am am disciplining you. And then he says this, that as a man chastens his son, so Yahweh your God chastens you. God has deliberately been, he says, training Israel as a father would his son. He is raising Israel up through the stages of maturity to bring them to a complete man, to complete uh, maturity. And the way that God does this, it's evident, and you've probably heard this paradigm before. This is not new with me. I've heard several other uh, faithful pastors and writers use this. I'm going to apply it to your situation in your life. But the three phases of history that God moves humanity to are very obviously and apparently through the Scriptures, a priestly phase, a kingly phase, and a prophetic phase of history. He starts his people out as priests, and then he gives them kings, and then he gives them prophets. And each one of these eras, each one of these Epics is is a different stage of maturity for Israel his son. He's intentionally deliberately raising his people up through these stages of maturity. Just think of how he did this. Just do a quick recap of biblical history. He established a kingdom of priests. That's what he calls them in Exodus 19. You my people are a kingdom of priests. And what does he do for them? He sets up a house for his priests. He gives them rules for how they live in that house. What do you do at that house? Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, is full of sacrifices and laws of of cleanness. What is sacred and what is profane? And as far as a priest is concerned, there's no guesswork. You don't go off script. If someone has leprosy, what do you do? Well, consult the book. What does it say? What do you do when there's a disease? Someone brings a peace offering to sacrifice. What do you do? There's no guesswork here. You can't make it up as you go along. You just follow the procedure. You just follow the rules. Just as I watched a YouTube video to cut up the onion. You follow the rules and you watch and look at what God has said as far as what those those procedures are. So priests follow rules. They're given rules. Israel went through the priestly phase in the early days of her formation. But then there was a transformation into a kingly period. When David becomes king, worship is more than just sacrifices. Worship is also song. There are instruments. There are psalms. The priests are still there doing their job. We don't forget what we learned in the priestly phase. But the king comes... And there's a new thing. There's the permanent monarchy. And judges come and go as they were needed. But now we, have, now we have a king. And when we have the king, the king represents the nation before God and before the world. Under the priestly period, we had books of the Bible known as what? What are the first five books of the Bible known as under this big heading? What do we call those? We call those the law. Did somebody say law? I, I'm sorry. I can't hear you. So, I'll just pretend you said law because that's the answer I was looking for. Uh, the, The first five books of the Bible are the law, the books of Moses. They're law. When we come to the kingly phase of history, though, what kind of books do we have? We have Psalms and Proverbs and songs. We have wisdom literature in the kingly period. We have poetry. So, the king has to exercise his imagination, the king has to exercise his creativity. He has to make more complicated decisions. He has to wield the sword and execute judgment. Does the priest get a sword? Yeah, he gets a knife. What can the priest use his sword on? Animals. The king gets a sword though, and he uses his sword on people. The priest cuts up animals. The king now is given the sword to cut up people if he needs to. Sometimes the king has to choose between the lesser of two evils. Not not to do wickedness. The king can't, can't do wickedly. You're never trapped in a decision where it's either do this sin or do this sin. That's not what I mean by the lesser of two evils. But the king must choose between the better of two bad outcomes, and he needs wisdom to do that. Those are kingly types of decisions. After the kingdom is split up, Israel is no longer an independent nation because of her sin. She goes into exile. The monarchy comes to an end. The tabernacle and the temple are destroyed. There is no house of worship. And during this phase of history, leadership is moved to the prophets. Now, priests are still functioning in some capacity. There are still some magistrates. There's governors in this period of history. But the preeminent office in Israel's history, toward the end of Israel's history, before the Lord Jesus comes... That is the prophetic age. The leaders of Israel are Ezekiel, Daniel. The people are led by prophets. Prophets are the heralds of new worlds. Anytime there's a, a new covenant or a new phase of history, there is a prophet there to open up the way and to speak God's word to a changing world. The prophet is also a junior counselor to the, to the Godhead. I was, you, you go to Amos for this. Everybody knows where Amos is, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, when you're in the minor prophets. And in Amos chapter 3, we get a little bit of information about the office of a prophet. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, we read, Surely Yahweh God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. God does nothing unless He reveals it to His prophets. And just like God... Uh, said when he was dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, "Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do?" Abraham was a prophet, and here's how a prophet functions. In um in Amos chapter seven, Yahweh showed me. This is Amos, the prophet, writing. Amos, uh, Yahweh showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings, and it was so. It was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, "O oh Lord God, forgive I pray." Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So Yahweh relented concerning this. It shall not be, says Yahweh. So God sends a a, a locust swarm. And Amos cries out and says, Lord, this is not good timing. Lord, stop this. Don't do this. You know what the Lord does? He stops it. The prophet is a junior counselor to the triune Godhead. And then thus Yahweh God showed me, behold, Yahweh God called for a conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Yahweh God, cease, I pray, O oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So Yahweh relented concerning this. This also shall not be, says Yahweh God. So he he sends a fire. And Amos says, no, 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 we can't take this. And the Lord stops the fire. That is the work of a prophet, to intercede and to to be a counselor for God. And God listens to his his prophets. Prophets are brought into God's council chambers as consultants. So the purpose of going through all this is I want you to see that there are three phases and three offices that rise to the surface of Israel's history. We start out as a priestly people. Then we transition to a kingly people. And then we become a prophetic people until we get the Lord Jesus who is the super priest, and the higher king, and the great prophet. Jesus is priest, king, and prophet, not only a son, but he fulfills all three of these offices perfectly. And we are conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ by being brought into these three stages of life. And we don't cease to be priests when we become kings you don't forget what you learned in the priestly phase when you become a king and you don't forget what you learned as a king when you become a prophet these three stages of history also apply to individual growth and individual development as as people we do follow this kind of order in our life you begin life as priests this is where you start you start under the complete care of your parents the way israel was under the complete care of God. Did they have to go till the soil and plant manna trees or manna plants to get manna? No. God gave them the manna. He gave them the fowl of the air when they wanted meat. He gave just as your parents give you and provide for you food. He gave them a house. He said, here is here is the house that you're going to meet me in. And this is This is exactly the way that that we start out. We have instructions and specific commands to obey, just as God gave his priests specific commands and instruction. So early childhood through early teenage years, this is priestly time. When you're small, you learn that there are things you must not touch. There are things you must not say. There are things you must not handle, things you must not do. Attitudes you must not have when you're a child. You are in a priestly phase of life. This is the time for rules when you're little. And lots of rules. Like like God gave the priest clear, detailed instruction. You do this, and then you do this. When an animal is brought before you, you put your hands on it. You wash it with water. You cut it up and arrange it on the altar. You, You burn the offering up, and then you eat part of it, and then you say a blessing, and you send the worshiper out. You follow this order every single time. Well, this is... This is what we do with children. And we tell them, this is what you do, and then when you're done with this, you do this. And as you grow into faithful priesthood as a young person, you learn boundaries. This is something else that was very important to priests. The boundaries of the tabernacle and the boundaries of the courtyard and what was sacred and what was profane. What is clean and what is unclean. These boundaries were essential and so when children are little you have little boundaries when my children were babies we had a little little fence in the living room and this is where you play and then we put you in another jail called the playpen and then we put you in another jail called your bed and it has bars just like a prison and this is this is where you go and they try to escape they're escape artists and they try to get out and you put them back in and then when they get a little bit older, well, you say, well, this is this is your boundary. This is where you can go. And then you have the yard. And now you can ride your bike. You can go from that mailbox to that mailbox. And you're a little bit old. Well, you can go to that driveway down to that street. And you get a little bit older. And it's like, well, go to that trail. And you can go down to that highway. And that's where I want you to go. You see, their boundaries get bigger. But that's, that's priestly work. Priests are, are concerned with boundaries. Um, fools don't pay attention to boundaries. Fools don't care about boundaries. Fools see something that other people would say, that's off limits. And a fool says, I'm going to go climb on that. Wise men look at things and say, you know what? That could kill me or hurt me, or maybe that's just stupid. Fools say, hey, let's do it. That's fun. Let's get a concussion. <laughs> Break an arm. But priests understand boundaries and learn to submit to the authority that God has placed over them. So one of the most important lessons we must learn when we're young is how to submit to instruction and submit to boundaries. The priestly stage of life is full of rules and stories and rituals. Children love liturgies. Children thrive on having the same things over and over and over and over read to them and told them. That's why the early parts of the Bible are not just laws, but stories that we're supposed to read over and over and over. We're supposed to understand them so that when you have ever, if you've ever sat down with a three-year-old to read a book and you get to the last page, what do they want to do? Flip it over and start again on, you know, hop on pop and you read it again and you get to the end of hop on pop and you're like, I'm done with hop-on-pop. No, we're going to read it again. And you read it again. Children love and priests love. They thrive on having the same things over and over. They want the same food over and over, don't they? What do you want for supper? Macaroni. What do you want for breakfast? Macaroni. What do you want for lunch? macaroni they eat the same things over and over children are discipled by the rhythms and the rituals of life and this is how we learn who we are we learn who we are through story and ritual things done over and over and over to us and for us that we participate in we need rituals and when you're very young you need a ritual this is how we sit at the table this is how we put our plate in front of us. This is how you hold your fork. This is how you don't blow bubbles in your milk. This is how you cut your your chicken. This is this is how we do it. We pray and we eat. There are rituals for bedtime and bath time and play time. This is how we clean up. Um, this is why uh, Mickey is our liturgical leader, a real liturgical leader this week. You know, this is how we clean up and this is how we put things together and this is how we. Uh, uh, do it every single time. These are the rituals of life. Routine is so important for us as we grow so that we can learn the cycle and rhythms of life. This is how we make up when we've offended somebody. This is how we make things right when we've been offended. This is the liturgy that we follow. So this is the priestly phase of life. And most of you are still in a priestly phase of life. You have boundaries, you have rules, you have liturgies that you must follow every day. But some of you are also entering into and just dipping your toes in the waters of the kingly phase of life. As you grow up and you get more responsibilities, you're put in situations where you have to exercise wisdom, and wisdom is kingly. Your parents can't write enough rules to cover every scenario that you're going to face once you're outside of their sight. And so what you're going to have to do is learn how to be a wise king to take on more kingly responsibilities. But you can only do that if you've learned submission and obedience as a faithful priest. If you don't learn how to be a faithful priest, submit to authority and submit to boundaries, you will never be a faithful king. You will never be a wise king. And you won't be able to take responsibility in hand and do well with it. But if you have been a faithful priest, if you have grown up with godly self-discipline and you're allowed more freedoms then and the ability to make decisions for yourselves, you will come to this place where you have to learn how to exercise judgment. And sometimes your parents will even have to allow you to exercise judgment in doing things that will end up hurting you. As God says, you know, as I'm growing you up, there are things I kept from you. There are things I didn't do for you. There are things I wanted you to learn on your own. I want my kids to feel the, the, the ability to uh, feel the latitude to, to make decisions that might hurt them. Now, I'm not talking about criminal stuff. I'm not talking about deadly stuff. I'm not talking about you know, jumping off the roof or, or doing silly things. But I'm, I'm talking about giving children the freedom to fail in areas that they need to learn about. I'll give you a quick example. How do you spend your money? Do you save your money or do you waste your money? Now, when your children are very small and they get a check from grandma, you take the check and you put it in your wallet and say, "I'll cash this." And then when you want something, I'll see whether or not that's a good expense. I'll see if that's a good way to spend a good, a wise choice. But as they get a little bit older, it's your money. You put it in your wallet. You need to give some of it to God. You need to save some of it, and you know, but it's, but it's yours. And then if you go to the store and you pick up this dumb thing, that I say, that's dumb. That's a waste of money. What are, you, what are you doing? You say, no, I really want this dumb thing. I've wanted it all my life, as my son says. The other day he picked up something and said, I've wanted this for 10 years. He's nine. I've wanted this for 10 years. Okay, that's dumb, and it's going to break as soon as you get it out of the package. But you let him, you let him fail. You let him buy the dumb thing. And the first time it takes, they take it out of the package, it breaks. And you know what I do? I don't give you your money back. You spent your money. That was your money. You spent it. I don't give it to you. You have to learn how to use your money wisely. If you use it for this, you can't use it for that. If you got $10 to spend today and you spend it in the first 10 minutes, you don't get another $10 later. Kings learn to live with the consequences of their decisions. That was a bad decision. Okay. We acknowledge that. Now you're going to have to live with that bad decision. You're going to have to live with it. How are you going to work through this? What are you going to do to make it better? You have to learn to do that, and your parents have to learn to let you do that. You ask for advice, you get advice, but ultimately it's up to you as you move into more responsibility and to the kingly phase of life. God gives the king more liberty to make decisions. Now for the priest, everything was spelled out. But instruction for the king comes in the form of Proverbs, thing that, things that are, in true, are true in life but need to be applied in certain situations where there's no specific instruction. What part of God's law do you go to when two women come to you and say, this baby is mine, and the other one says, no, this baby is actually mine? What part of Leviticus do you go to to figure out how to deal with that and solve that? What part of Deuteronomy did Solomon open up and look at to determine what he was supposed to do there? He didn't have it. What he had was wisdom. And Solomon had to think of all that God had revealed to come up with a solution. Wisdom involves figuring out which commands apply in which situations. Wisdom regards timing. When should I speak? When should I keep silent? When should I act? When should I refrain from acting? What is appropriate here and now, but wouldn't be appropriate over here and then? These are all wisdom issues. Wisdom means figuring out what needs to be done and how to do it. That's what kings have to learn. And that's what you need to learn, that as you grow, you need to apply what you learned in the priestly stage learn how to apply that to all kinds of new situations when you move into the kingly phase of life you learn how to fear god when mom and dad aren't around you learn how to sacrifice you learn how to give up your own comfort and pleasure for someone else this may come as a newsflash to you it shouldn't but teenagers are selfish and obnoxious and i say that because i was one and i was selfish and obnoxious And I know many teenagers are selfish and obnoxious just by our nature. But if you're going to be kings, then you need to learn how to give up your life for others. Kings give themselves for the people that they're called to serve. So then you must, as you enter the kingly phase of life, more and more learn how to help mom and dad, how to serve people in your church and serve people on your street. If you know how to unload a dishwasher, you should never be told to unload the dishwasher. If you know how to start a lawnmower and you see grass that needs to be cut, nobody should ever have to tell you to cut the grass. I, I know how to work that. I see that there's a problem. Let's put the two together and see what happens. You should never have to be told. If you know how to pull a garbage bag up out of a can, tie it, and throw it in a dumpster, if you know how to do that, you should never have to be told to do that. Whose job is this? It's yours. You see it. It's your job if you know how to do it. This is what it means to grow into maturity and to take responsibility. Then as you grow and mature more, eventually you enter a calling where you exercise dominion. And you grow to the point where you're able to instruct others and counsel others. And you transform the world by your work. And you give, you, you, you have a vision for how things could work better. You function now as a priest, yes, as a king, yes, but now you're a prophet. You're a prophet of a, of a new age. You make new things. Prophets act as God's advisors, as I said. God responds to his advisors. The words of prophets tear down old worlds and, and build up and establish new worlds. So, so not only must you be obedient priests and faithful kings, but you must also be able to communicate truth to others. And this is the job, this is the duty of a prophet. So as you reach adulthood, you take responsibility to teach and train younger people, younger brothers and sisters. Now each of these stages is vital to our maturity. You have the priestly stage where you learn how to submit and obey. You face discipline. Everything's kind of black and white. Everything's kind of consistent. You know what happens when you disobey. Then you enter the kingly phase and you take on responsibility. And then you enter the prophetic phase where you acquire the ability to pass on God's law and his wisdom to other people and to change the world around you. Now, now what is the value of understanding all of this? Why do I spend time on this? In the next two talks... I'm going to go way deeper into what your calling is as priests and what that means. And then the third, I'm going to talk more about what you need to be transferring and and, and transforming into as you become kings. I'll say a little bit about prophets at the end. Well, what's the value of all of this? Well, here it is. You live in a society and a culture that is working overtime to keep you stupid and immature. You will function just fine in this fallen world if you're just stupid and immature. Other people will pick up the slack. Other people will do for you. There's all kinds of programs and opportunities for people who don't want to engage, who want to check out, who don't want to, <laughs> don't want to be faithful. Yeah, you just kind of, kind of go with the flow. The world that you're growing up in and the people that you're growing up around value immaturity, more than maturity. They value stupidity way more than wisdom. And unfortunately, this starts with the oldest people in our generation. We have we have people with gray hair who dress like children and talk like children and act like children. We have in Christian churches, pastors and elders and ministers who act and talk and communicate like children. Now, now if this is... We have politicians that act like children and this is our best and we the church however are are being called to maturity we're being called to grow up and you need to know that growing up is a thing and it is expected of you maturity is the expectation and god has has worked this out for you he has he has a plan he has a he has a way of growing you up into into maturity, and so this—that's the first thing I want you to know—that maturity is an expectation. We're cutting against the grain of our society, but—but but it is a thing. <laughs> maturity is—is is something that's expected of you. First Corinthians 14: Brethren, do not be children in understanding; however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Maturity is the expectation. Mature affections, mature goals, mature understanding of God and His world. And I want to show you how to get there. And the second thing that I want you to see is that God, at whatever stage of life you're in, has called you to that stage of life. And you need to be content there. So that if you are a priest, if you're in a priestly stage of life, and most of you still are, you're still under authority, you need to love being a priest You've got to be a faithful priest, a diligent priest, an obedient priest. Don't chafe against it. Don't hate it. Don't hate the rules and the structure and the liturgies. Embrace them. Love them. Give thanks for them every day. And give thanks to God and say, this is good for me. And When mom and dad say no to something that you really want to do, you say, thank you. Thank you for telling me no. And thank you, God, for giving parents to tell me no. No, I think, is one of the lost words of the American vocabulary when it comes to parents and children. Have you ever seen a child that's never been told no? You've seen them. They're monsters. Sometimes I just look for excuses to tell my kids no. Just, Hi, Dad. How's it? No! <laughs> Beautiful outside is no. It's not No! No! Because we need boundaries. And we need to learn to submit to authority, loving authority, and joyful submission. That's what we're called to. And so if you're a priest, love the calling of your life right now. And if you're transitioning and getting more uh, responsibility as a king, love and take the responsibility that you're being given. Embrace it. Don't reject it. Don't shy away. Don't fall backwards. Press forwards into maturity. Those are the things that we're going to talk about in the next two sessions. But for now, let's stop here and let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling us to be priests and kings. And we thank you for maturing us and growing us up into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so may all of us embrace the calling that you have placed on us. And may we grow together even this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.